Hey friends, Andy Jenkins here at the Hilltop. I'm actually in my garage today. Now, that sounds really harsh. It sounds like that would be the worst thing that you could possibly be at in the world. Worst location, at least for recording my podcast. But I, t- I tell you this, uh, a couple years ago when I bought this house, I decided that you know it had a garage. I, I had never in all of my adult life had a garage. Now, the exception would be this little tiny period of time that I was technically an adult living at home with my parents in Centerpoint, Alabama, outside of Birmingham, where we used to, I kid you not, crowd four vehicles into, we had a full basement. Half of it we kind of used for whatever eventually got built in. Half of it, we put four cars, two on each side of a double garage, back to back, and we had them, I mean, stuffed like sardines. You know, my mom's car, my dad's car, my car, my brother's truck, all in there in a specific order, really based on the traffic flow of who was leaving, who came in late. It actually kind of worked. But since that period when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, I have really not had a garage. So when I bought this house about three years ago, it had a garage. And I thought, I think I'm going to park my car in that garage, and I did it for about, oh, I'm going to say three months. So half the garage, very organized, that's the half I'm on, had shelves with tools, shelves with, uh, Beth's got a shipping station in here, uh, shelves with, on the other side, all these books and jackets and t-shirts. The other side of the garage where I used to park the car, I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to turn that into a workout space. And so now over there, carpeted, you know, first thing I did when I got this house, renovated, renovated the garage first, painted the walls, painted the ceiling so I could put my tools in here and then work out of here without messing up the rest of the house. That worked great. Um, But on the other side of the garage, I'm looking over there right now, there's a big screen television where sometimes I do beach body workouts. There's pull up, a dip bar, skateboards hanging on the wall, motorcycle helmets hanging on another wall. Some of the boys' bats and balls and rollerblades, weights, and yes, get this, a wrestling mat. Everybody needs a wrestling mat in their garage. Okay, so when I say I'm in the garage doing the podcast, now you kind of got a better feel for it that really this is just like one gigantic living room, except for you can rumble around in here, and we do just about every single day. Okay, so on the podcast, here's what I want to do this episode, maybe the next and the next. You know, honestly, I'm not sure how many episodes I'll go on this theme, but uh, a few weeks ago, I was really kind of pondering, okay, you know, I've been talking about some of the material from the recovery group. I've been talking about uh, some of the other things from the purpose book. What I really want to discuss next, and it, it kind of took me back in those thoughts to this project that I did over the summer. Now, back in May, I had the opportunity to go to Bryson City, North Carolina, to speak at a church on Memorial Day weekend, on that Sunday, about the topic of PTSD and moral injury, specifically as it relates to veterans. They wanted us to do this uh, during their Sunday school hour. They had all the adults in there, and we got to really talk about some of the films that we've done at Crosswinds, got to talk and show them a clip, Uh, and then during the Sunday morning service, they wanted us to, hey, just really 
preach the sermon on that and really talk about what is the cure for moral injury, M-O-R-A-L, moral, like your moral compass, your conscience is broken. Uh, what is the cure for that, which which really is guilt and shame? It's, it's forgiveness. And so we really got to speak to that. Uh, during that weekend, got to take the entire family. My parents went there. It was a great weekend for us to spend some time with them, for some of our boys to connect and have some unrushed time, uh, indoor skydiving, all of that. It was a great weekend. The church reached back out. About a month later, the pastor called and wanted to know if I would come back out uh, sometime in August. They were having, it's a country church, a homecoming revival, and so agreed to do that. And one of the things that he really wanted to talk about was address the men in that congregation and just talk to them about what does it look like for a man to lead? And so, you know, immediately I began thinking, okay, what are some of the things that I, some of the resources I have? What are some of the things that I've taught before? Uh, how would I teach them again? Do, do I completely agree with how I taught them before? Because sometimes you think, well, I've, I've learned more, so I want to add more nuance to it, or I, I want to take it a little bit deeper, or I've got a better way to say it now. And so really looked through that, had a bunch of notes where I taught leadership before, uh, particularly for men in the family. And so really started developing those ideas. And the outflow of that was this book that is on our website. I'm, I'm flipping it right here. The name of that book is Stronger. Stronger, S-T-R-O-N-G-E-R, Biblical Insights for Men on Masculinity and Spiritual Leadership. So when, when you go to that book and go, well, you, you really don't say a lot about women in that. That's true. Um, but I'm really in that trying to address the men and how to teach men how to lead strong but love even stronger. That's kind of the hook right there. Lead strong. So so don't step back in the leadership. Don't water it down. Don't weaken it. But make sure that you're loving at a level that excels what you're doing in the leadership. I, I think that's one of the areas where we get it wrong is lately culture has said, well, men, men shouldn't lead. Uh, men, you know, mess up things. That, that's true, we do. <laughs> we, we tend to mess things up. Um, and so as a result, culture has said men should stop leading because men have screwed so many things up royally, messed things up. Okay, so that's true. But the solution isn't to lead less. The solution is not to change the role that men have. The solution is not to just do this uh, gender neutralize everything. I mean, straight up, men and women are different. Regardless of what we say culturally or politically, if they dig you up, your bones in the grave, 50, 100 years from now, they're going to look at you and they're going to go, you are a man, woman, biologically, however you were born, and, and it's going to sync with what you were assigned at birth, ironically, oddly enough. So the solution is not to gender nullify everything. It's actually to walk into the role that God has given you and to be sure that as you do that strong, you're also loving stronger. And so 
I began pulling some of these ideas together that I had and, you know, writing the notes. I, I tend to, most of the time when I'm teaching, type it out. It won't necessarily be in long form. Uh, it'll be just kind of all there. When, when I teach, I tend to get up without the notes and just speak. However, it's it's all there in the background. Like, I, I, I have it. I've studied it. I've been through it, walked through the nuance of it, through the wording of it. And so I had all of this information there, and as I started compiling it together, getting ready to speak to these men, uh, really, it kept looking more and more and more like a book, a short book. And so at some point, I I remember telling Beth, I I think I'm just going to put this on my website. I'm going to make it available. Uh, If people want it when we're at the church, they 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 can have it. I'm also going to do the audiobook. I've learned that doing the audiobook of these books, it really is a great way for me to, in some sense, edit my own stuff. Because if it makes sense on paper, it doesn't always make sense when you read back through it, especially when you read back through out loud. And so I want it to be able to do that. Uh, I, I do catch some typos and I catch some connecting ideas that need to be a little bit stronger. And so. You know, I, I did all of that. I'm going to put the link in the show notes down there because if you want the book, you can buy the book. Uh, if you want the audio book, I mean, goodness, you can have that absolutely free. That's just air, and it doesn't cost me anything to get that to you. So I'll post that in the link down below. You can have the audio book, complete audio book, absolutely free. But I think I want to talk to you about the idea of uh, specifically men. I, I know there's some women who listen in. But specifically to the men, leading strong, so not not dumbing down the leadership, not weakening the leadership. It, in some senses, it may be actually stepping it up a notch. And while you step it up, it's also not just leading strong, but loving at a level that is even stronger, a level that excels the level at which you're leading. Um, let me tell you a couple of reasons why. Here's reason number one. This is kind of the precipitating event that made me really think about this. So a couple, oh, a couple months ago, we, we tried this in early 2021, I think. We just couldn't quite get into that groove yet, and we're still kind of working through some issues that I'll tell you about in this post uh, in a second. But we ha- we had this idea, Beth and I did. We have we have ten kids. Five of those kids now are at the age to where they live outside of the home. So you know, one of them in college at Mississippi State. One of them in college down in the Auburn area. Uh, couple of them down near UAB and taking online courses and, and all of that. Five of them outside of the home, five of them inside of the home. And with schedules and just all of the chaos of everything, we, we didn't want to just connect with the younger ones to the exclusion of the older ones. And we wanted to set in this tradition that really, uh, as you come together, you know, we're, we're a blended family. <laughs> That's the term I'm about to change in a second. But we're we're a blended family. So Beth has her kids. You know, I have quote my kids. Now they're all kind of collectively, you know, our kids together in some shape, form, fashion, variation. Um, but when they come together, we we really wanted to create some new traditions, uh, particularly to keep connection with those older ones 
and that as they moved up and out and beyond and got connected with other people that became spouses and other connections, like we would still have this space and time, not, not just, oh, y'all come when you want, but we'd still have this time where they knew every single, at whatever time it was, there's always going to be something going on at the house here, here at, at the Hilltop. And so what we decided was really the first Sunday night of the month, we would have some kind of dinner cookout we might order in. It might be a, one time it was half pizza and half Zaxby's. Another time we've cooked out. Other times we've, um, Beth's got in there and worked in the kitchen, you know, half the afternoon. We would do something on that first Sunday night where they could all come over. That way they just always knew, hey, there, there's at least once a month, regardless of what's going on, where I can just land there at the house. If I have friends, I can bring them. If I don't, I can just show up. If I'm in the middle of final exams or work schedules, or I can show up. If, if there's a birthday that month for anybody in the family, like we're going to celebrate it right then so everybody can make it. If I'm out of town, I could, Mike, Mike, could, Mike could make it. It's on a weekend. You got no condemnation if you don't, but you just always know. And it, it even carries into Christmas. You know, like we'll still do some stuff on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Uh, depending on everybody's schedules, but I mean, goodness, as, as families expand and get larger, and you've got you know ten kids who are now up and on their own, and you know different families and families of families kind of vying for everybody's attention. We thought, man, everybody wants Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but goodness, nobody wants the first Sunday night of December. Everybody wants Thanksgiving. But nobody wants that first Sunday night of December or the first Sunday night of November. So we, we just started doing this thing. And, and I think over the last three, four months, we've got some traction. Uh, so you might be seeing some of those social media posts uh, that are going up now. Uh, anyway, this was one of the precipitating events for me talking about this topic of lead strong, love, even stronger. So Beth posted on Instagram and on Facebook a couple days ago uh, about a picture that she took, or I think one of the friends actually took it, of me, her, 10 kids on what was the uh, Sunday night that we all rallied together in October. Here's here's what she says. Okay, her, her words not mine. I might make some commentary along the way, but th this is beautiful right here. Whoever coined the concept of blending a family probably wasn't an actual step-parent. The word blending has actually become abrasive to my spirit because each one of our kids are jam-packed with their own flavor of awesomeness. Okay, pause right there. You know, I've often thought it is uncanny how you can take kids that were raised in the same family, in the same environment, with the same economic situation, the same belief systems, all the same parenting, all the same, and they turn out personality-wise, skill set-wise, completely different. And I really think that's because God has a unique purpose, a unique design for each person. Now, that's true when they're in the same family of origin. It, it's, it's, it's true still 
when you have people coming together that weren't originally family by by blood, but now they've been pulled together. Each one of our kids are jam-packed with their own flavor of awesomeness. Early on, when we tried to blend them, and, and I don't know that we tried to blend them or we weren't unintentional, unintentionally doing some things that... I, I, I don't know, but just read what she says. It legit felt like life had tossed us all in a kitchen appliance with sharp blades meant to chop things into indistinguishable pieces. That, that means you can blend something and everything loses its identity. So when you make a smoothie, you take the orange, you toss it in, you take the banana, you toss it in, you take, you know peanut butter or whatever, raspberry, strawberry, you take whatever you're going to put in there. And when you blend it, all of a sudden it loses its color. It loses its shape. It loses, in some sense, part of its flavor. You know, the, the flavor of everything at the end kind of resembles pieces and parts of what was there. But sometimes you, you even think at the end, man, I can't even, I can't even taste the orange. Or you go, what, what? There's there's ginger in here? I, I had no idea. Or sometimes you even know something's off, but you're not sure what, so you start tinkering and messing, and it's because by virtue of what you were making, you you blended it, and it all lost its identity. Uh, so, so Beth continues writing right here. That sounds dramatic. Only if you've not experienced remarriage, with older kids. So when we got married, November the 6th, 2020, had a super spreader event at our house. Uh, We we had older kids that, I I mean, you know, still uh, adolescent in some sense, you know, still uh, the oldest ones in college, only only at that point, not even halfway through. but old enough to, to kind of be in that in-between space where you're an adult, yet you're not quite on your own, yet you're not a kid, yet you're still not you know, ready to just charge out into the world on your own, yet you're doing so many things on your own that are incredible, yet you're not yet kind of on your own, yet you're your own person. It's, it's kind of that you know, odd mix of figuring your way out. And um, goodness, there were so many things for everybody to figure out. Beth writes, for those of us who have, meaning experienced, remarriage with with older kids, let's just take a moment to celebrate small wins that lead to a true sense of belonging. Because, here's the truth, relationships are hard regardless of how you became to be in that same space. You think about like (laughs) your, your biological siblings, those relationships are are hard. You you think about as you grow up and you're a kid that 18, 19, 20, 25, wh- whatever it is relating to your parents, those transitions sometimes are hard or, or reverse it. You're the parent, you're relating to older kids. Goodness, like figuring out how, how much leeway do you get them? How how much do you let go and how much do you pull in and 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 honestly how, how much do you control? youngest kids need to be controlled. The oldest ones, man, they don't. Uh, in fact, lately one of the kids told us, quote, if I'm going to run into a brick wall, it's my brick wall, just let me run into it. <laughs> and I thought, all right, fasten your seatbelt. I mean, all of that, it's, it's hard, right? Regardless of 
how you stepped into that relational space, it's hard. Now, think about if it's not your biological people. If it's relationships uh, that, uh, in some senses, you, you know, so, so, some of the older kids, well, they didn't choose to be connected to, to me, uh, or they, di they didn't choose to be connected to, to Beth. That They're connected by virtue of the fact that she and I made a choice uh, of each other. We chose each other, and now everybody's pulled into this. So relationships are hard anyway. Goodness, just add the other layers. Beth continues writing here. I've given you more commentary than I have her actual post. Relationships are a choice, she says, regardless of the bloodline. You know, you wake up every day and you choose to be connected to that spouse, you choose connection to your kids over the television or work. I'm speaking to myself on that. You choose intentionally preferring the person over a project or preferring the person over some unhealed hurt. You choose, and, and that's because, Beth writes here, relationships are messy regardless of the best intentions. I mean, forget, forget to say, we misunderstand each other. Uh, we unintentionally mess up. So sometimes we intentionally mess up. They're hard. And as she continues here, a true sense of belonging, it takes initiative and resources and commitment and energy and agency to change the things about yourself that become so apparent when seeking to do life with others. Here's one of the things I like that she writes. These kids have helped me discover so much about myself, making me a better human. I just pray one day I'll have the chance to translate it to them through how they experience me, how they grow to perceive us, and how they continue to agree to simply show up for the organized chaos of being together. That That's key right there. It's organized chaos, and everybody just agrees, I'm going to show up. So, you know, that's a long intro right there, and I, I really thought I would start getting into some content on this, but here's, here's, what I, here's what I want to say, and here's kind of maybe where I want to uh, pro probably land the plane on all of this. Um, so consider this an intro for the next few talks, and here's, here's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about men leading strong and loving even stronger. Okay, so men leading strong, loving even stronger. And I'll say this, you, you might have an adverse reaction to some of that. I, I get it. You could feel that because you've seen authority abused. You might carry hurt from past experiences in this area. And when we see an extreme wrong, we tend to over-exaggerate the correction and go to an extreme ourselves in the opposite direction. So if we've been hurt by leaders, we tend to shun off all leadership. Or we tend to not lead. Or if we've led in a bad way in the past, as, as I have, we tend to just think, well, I guess I'm just not destined to lead at all. So I'll just forego it, punt it. You know, and you can't do that. In every area in Scripture, I, let me just give you some examples we don't punt it out. We 
pull it in close and seek to do it the right way. Now, for instance, I, I've seen the healing ministry abused. Uh, you might have seen that too, where people say things like, well, that person wasn't healed because they didn't have enough faith, or God's teaching them a lesson. All these really odd things that you can't back up with Scripture, we see that abused, so we overreact and we toss out the healing ministry altogether. Or how about this one? <laughs> we see the issue of uh, speaking in tongues misused, so we just say, well, that's of the devil, rather than trying to understand that there may be some people who legitimately have a Holy Spirit-inspired gift. We see prophecy given incorrectly, so we decide that God only speaks through Scripture rather than speaking through His people in real time, in real space, through relationship. And as it relates to leadership, we see authority abused. We see leadership mishandled, so we we decide that, hey, we're all priests before God. You know, we can all go to God. We're all equal. Yeah, that's true, and no one can tell us what to do. Well, the truth in the scripture is you and I, we are all priests, men and women alike. First Peter 2, 9 says, you are a kingdom of priests. We are all equal in the eyes of God. Scripture says no, no longer male or female, Jew or Gentile, all one in Christ. However, overreacting to misuses of authority, it doesn't make the truth of true biblical authority that some people do carry greater responsibility, and lead at a higher capacity. And, and that's how I'm going to define authority over the next few weeks and leadership over the next few weeks is responsibility and influence at a higher capacity. Because people have misused those, it doesn't simply make those realities evaporate. We still must wrestle with the concept because the kingdom of God is a kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. It is a kingdom. And in a kingdom, there's rank, there's order, there's authority, and that authority is called by God to give people what they need, not what they want. It's also called by God and ordained by God to build people up, not tear them down. Uh, Paul writes of his authority, and he says in 2 Corinthians 13.10 that God gave him this authority that was to be used for building you up, not for tearing you down. Uh, in another verse, he describes his authority saying that even though I boast rather freely about my power and authority, which the Lord gave for your upbringing and not for your demolishing, he says, I won't be put to shame for speaking and exceeding the truth. So again, there's that balance there where we don't just eliminate something we don't like. We don't rewrite the definition. We go back and say, hey, what, what was the purpose of this? How and why did God give us this? And so I think I'm going to explore this. Um, in light of what Beth wrote, in, in light of that project that led to this, got it right there, you can hear the pages, really short book that you can read or you can listen to the whole thing and just dive a little deeper. And, and here's one of the disclaimers I want to give. Next, next episode, I'll get right into the content some of you know my story. My personal history, it includes an 18-year marriage followed by a divorce. 
navigating the tough terrain of marital dissolution, <laughs> a, a story in which I was taken to court seven times. I sat through two mediation attempts. I endured a four-hour dip- deposition. Uh, I walked through the season right before that, two failed adoptions, which required me to act as a mandatory reporter about two children I was seeking who were very harmed from infancy, seeking to help nurture them towards wholeness, a, a wake of other relational rifts, some of which were my fault, some not my fault at all, most of them kind of this tangly mix of some of my fault and some of their fault. All, all of these have highlighted the wisdom of God's Word in this area of leading strong and loving even stronger. I've seen firsthand the blessings of applying God's principles, and I've experienced the pitfalls of living out of alignment from those pitfalls. So I know, you know, when I start writing a book, which it's already written, talking on a podcast about leadership and specifically in the area of your family, I I know someone's going to say, well, what qualifies you to write the book? What qualifies you to, to talk on the podcast? What qualifies you to share about this? Well, think about think about it like this. If you want to learn about God's acceptance of us, despite our failure to perform and our failure to uphold his standards of holiness as expressed in the law, you read the words of Paul. Paul is the Pharisee who by his own admonition, he, he was blameless in his obedience. He was the ultimate legalist. He thought that God accepted him based on all the things that he did Initially, that was his downfall, yet now we go to this man who failed in that area to understand radical grace. If you want to learn about marriage, romance, sex, you read the words of Solomon. Solomon is the man who wrote Song of Songs, who infamously married 700 women and maintained 300 concubines. He failed in the area of intimacy, yet when we want to know about intimacy, man and woman, we go and read the words of Solomon. If you want to learn about restoration, you read the words of David. He's the man who forced himself upon a married woman. He impregnated her. He tried to trick her husband into sleeping with her to cover it up, and then he murdered that man using his own soldiers to push him to the front lines of battle and then abandon him when his plan failed. Many times, I think even maybe most of the time, the enemy attacks you and me in the very areas where we're destined to make the greatest impact for the kingdom. It's almost as if he can sense it, and then he seeks to eliminate it before we walk in our true identity. But then God, in his grace, he rescues us. He restores what was lost. He resets us back on our path. We learn that... As Paul wrote in Romans 11.29 that the gifts and calling of God are, here's a beautiful word when used in the right context, they are irrevocable. God doesn't take that gift, meaning the ability to do something. He doesn't take that calling, meaning the destiny that you had to fulfill that position. He doesn't take it away. Now, we assume that because human people do that, 
I, I've got my own stories. You have your own stories where you're bumping along, you're doing something, and somebody goes, oh, you failed in that area. You're disqualified. That truth, that blessing can no longer apply to you. you you've got your story of that. I, I have my stories of that. And so we assume that because people interact that same way, I mean, goodness, you and I may have even place that on other people at some point in the past. We assume that because people act like that, God does, but he doesn't. So if you've failed, uh, specifically in this area of family, specifically in, in, in the area of, of marriage, of, of romance, of, of relationships with the spouse or the kids, I, w- I would say, welcome, you're at the right place and let's figure this thing out together. You're you're in the company of, of men like Paul who failed. You're in the company of men like Solomon who failed. You're in the company of men like David who failed. Uh, we could go on all these sources out the scripture and then God twisted it and turned it back and that became their greatest platform. You, you see Biblically, there is no issue the cross did not permanently resolve. So the very fact that you failed in this area, it may very well mean that this is an area that God intends to work in an even greater way through you above all other possible areas. You see, there's this promise in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 12.10. It says this, where we are weak, Or you could just expound upon that, where we have failed. You you could just add, where we have not measured up, you could flesh it out, where we have absolutely missed the mark and couldn't do it, even though we tried in our own strength, where we are weak, he is strong. Or you could say it this way, grace. Not just forgiving grace, but empowering grace. Not just the grace that covers over your sin, but that grace that enables you to move forward from the past through the present into your full-blown God-given potential, that kind of grace clings almost exclusively to past failure and weakness. Why? Because when you're weak, he's strong. So if you've been a weak or a harsh or overbearing leader in the past, take heart Grace is near. It, it's here. And you read verses like Romans 2, 4, God's kindness leads us to repentance. Uh, his revelation to you is always an invitation to join him in his work. He doesn't exclude. Remember that call? Irrevocable. So in the next few episodes, take what you learn. Use it. Remember that the past sin is covered. You don't stand condemned. Romans 8.1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Move ahead by putting the power of his promises and his protection to work in your life. And let's just figure it out. Walk it together. Do you see 35 minutes in, long intro. I I thought I would get into the first topic, but that's not going to happen. Here's where we're going to go in the next episode, okay? In the scripture, I see that there are three different domains of authority. Number one, the house, the home. 
family. Number two, there's this area of authority that, well, it's it's religious authority, it's spiritual authority, it's the church. Number three is the state, it's the government. A lot of people don't actually think, but the government is put in place by God. And there are scriptures over and over that really tell us that. Now, now the government is not the kingdom of God at all. And we'll talk about some of what that means, you know, later on when we get to that topic. But but this is where we're going to go in the next few talks. Here's the encouragement. Let's figure it out together. All right, down in the show notes, there's a link. If you want to listen to the full audio book, you can do that absolutely free. I'll put a link to the paperback book right there if you want it. We'll ship it straight out of the garage right here where I'm recording this. I'll see you. Take a breath in the next episode.